What is, <laughs> it's good to, to be back. <laughs> we were talking this morning as we were having breakfast, our, our family, we were talking and said, we were saying, it's, it's fun to be here two weeks in a row, right? Here we are, we are back here at Birchridge. Uh, last week, we had to uh, drive up to Anchorage and pick up my father-in-law from the airport. And so our youngest daughter, Olivia, hi, Olivia, <laughs> she made the, the observation. She said, uh, this is the first time we've gotten to go to Birchridge and haven't had to drive to the Anchorage airport right afterwards. <laughs> She's like, what are we going to do with the rest of our day? This is amazing. <laughs> so it is good. It is so good to be a part of this community. It has been such a joy this week to be able to spend time just in the life of Birchridge. So spending time with uh, our kids on Tuesday night, watching them grow and learn and process what it looks like to, to follow Jesus and just to, to, to really feel like um, we're here. I had a moment in second service that you guys, we did, was a little bit different. There was this moment at the end of the second service where I was talking about things that Birchridge does and things that, that you do. And it was this moment where it's like, we, right? We're together. I'm part of this now. This is for our family. This is a really special moment. And so this week has been marked by those kinds of things. So um, it is a privilege and we are grateful to be here. We are starting, as Brent said earlier, um, a series called Leaning In. And um, that's a, a phrase that over the years I have learned when we're talking about spiritual things, when we're talking about the stuff that God's doing in us, when we're start talking about the, the things that God is teaching us, that there are really moments, and we see them all throughout Scripture. It's one of those things, I think, once you get a glimpse of it, you start seeing it everywhere. But these moments where Jesus will have a conversation with someone, and you can see there's maybe the moment where they're leaning in, where it's like, I, I want to hear what Jesus has to say. And then there's the moment when all of a sudden it starts to require something of them, right? Or all of a sudden they have to start thinking differently. You're li- living differently. You can almost feel, if you're kind of like watching the story happen, it's a conversation where someone goes from leaning in to kind of like, I'm not so sure, right? I don't know if I really want to go there. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at, over the next few weeks, these, these moments in Scripture, these Jesus conversations where it might be easier to lean out. Right? It might be easier to say, you know what, I'm not sure I want to go there. And we're going to lean in. As a church, we're going to make a decision to say, look, even when it gets hard, even when it's, it would be so much easier to lean out, we're going to lean in. When Jesus takes us in unexpected directions, when people come and they ask Jesus a question and they get more than they asked for, and it'd be easier to lean out, they lean in. And so we're going to learn from those who have gone before us, and we will learn together to lean in. I think one of the tensions that we have as we start talking about anything spiritual is it can become such an inward thing, right? The, the, to say, lean in, I'm going to lean in and listen to what God has for me, and lean in and listen to what Jesus is saying to me, that, that there's this tendency because our spiritual lives are they're internal, right? We, we tend to think of this as, as a lean in or in, in, in an inward kind of thing whether that's personally or maybe as a church, as we start to lean in as a church to say, God, what is it you're, you're calling us to as a congregation? What is it that you're trying to do here at Birchridge? And we have these moments. We're going to spend some time over the next, the next months of, of looking inward, saying, what is it that God's trying to do? What is it that God wants to do? What is it that, that God maybe needs to do in Birchridge? And we start to, to go through this process, and there's this tendency and there's this tension of, of looking inward but, but not staying there, right? Not to make this just an inward kind of personal thing that, we can say inward is important, but there is so much more. We watch Jesus as he has conversations with people, as he's walking people through this process of, of learning to live in the Jesus way, and it's, we're going to deal with the inward stuff. Um, but at some point, that's got to turn outward. At some point, it's going to have to actually kind of start spilling out into the world around you. That if inward is our natural inclination, especially when it comes to spiritual things, that that we should look inward, and yet at the same time, we're called to look inward so that we can live outward. We're spending this first, 
this first sermon, this first conversation is going to be in uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And for some of us, this is a very familiar passage, right? To, to be here at Birch Ridge and to recognize the, the influence even that Samaritan's Purse has had on this church and on some of our lives to, to take on what might feel like for some of us maybe a pretty sacred, kind of special passage. Um, but I think God has something for us. I think that might be a unique uh, conversation for this specific moment. And so in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, it says this, on, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This expert in the law would have been someone that wasn't just this, this expert in this kind of like secular legal system where you think of a lawyer or someone in, those, in, in that kind of way, but this is a person who would have been well-versed in the, in the scriptures, right? In the Jewish scriptures to understand what the law looked like that, that God had given to Moses to say, this is what life is supposed to look like as we live as followers of God. So this person who would have spent time studying well enough to, to be able to have arguments, well enough to, to have gone to this, this individual who was, was teaching these spiritual things and to say, I'm going to test them. Or I'm going to see if they're, if they're going to make any kind of heretical statement. I'm going to test and see if this thing is true because I know enough about the way this is all supposed to work. We're going to go through this process. And so he begins to, to ask Jesus this question. He says, what must I do? And this is a man probably sensing or thinking that I know everything that I need to know. Right? This is one that, that would say, like, I, I've got kind of the checklist. I've, I've walked through. I've studied. I've memorized huge swaths of Scripture. I, I, I know the things I'm supposed to know. So the question is, I think, I think I'm probably okay. But just in case, I'm going to say, is there anything that I'm missing? Right? Is there anything that I still need to do to, to inherit eternal life? And now this is a man probably covering his bases. One of two things is probably happening here. One is that he's, he's either trying to make sure that he's got his bases covered, saying, look, I've, I've done all the studying, I've done all the learning, I've done all the things I'm supposed to have, have, have studied and learned. But is there anything else? Is there anything else I need to make sure that I have added to my list? Or he's trying to catch Jesus making a heretical statement. Or he's saying, look, I know the law. I know what's required. I know what God said. I know, I know all the things that have been recorded for us. And so I'm, gonna either, I'm either trying to make sure I've got my bases covered or... Or maybe I'm just trying to make sure this guy is legit, right? That he's not trying to teach people something that's untrue. So maybe it's a, maybe even a mix of those two things. Either way, the conversation starts with a question, what must I do? As we're going to learn, as we talk about leaning in, as we talk about this inward focus that, that moves us into outward action, you start to realize that anytime you start asking Jesus what you should do, you should probably hold on, right? <laughs> What's about to happen? Where is this going to take me? And so Jesus begins to answer the question, and what's beautiful is he meets this, this expert in the law right where he is. And he, in verse 26, well, what is written in the law, Jesus says, right? He's meeting him right smack in the middle of the, the kind of conversation that he's comfortable with. He says, so what does the law say? What's written in the law? And then how do you read it, right? If you're an expert in the law, you've, you've studied the law, but you probably have an opinion on the law, right? You've probably thought about this, and you've, you've probably wrestled with what it actually means. So Jesus meeting this lawyer, this, this expert in the law right where he is, and so the expert, this person who has studied, says, ah, see, now I can show what I know, right? Because when you've studied well, it's always fun to be able to actually tell people what you've learned. And so he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a good answer. Right? This is the kind of answer that if you're like writing a, a, an answer on a test saying, what is it that's required of me? What is it if you're going to follow after God's heart, if you're going to, going to learn what God wants from us? Man, that's a good list. Right? That's the kinds of things. If you're doing those kinds of things, that's, that's the right kinds of things to do. This is a good answer. And Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Just do this and you will live. 
Right? It just seems like this simple moment where he's answered the right way and, and Jesus says, look, you've got it figured out. This is the right thing. Just, just go ahead and do those things. But if you look at the list, <laughs> if you look at the things that he said are, 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 are the things that he should do, start to realize how difficult the journey really is, right? If you start to look at the things that he says, look, this is what I need to do to inherit eternal life. This is what I would, from studying the law and as I understand the way this all works, is, these are the things, if I can do those things. And Jesus says, just do them and let's see what happens, right? It's going to be okay. It will go well for you. This is not Jesus messing with him. Jesus really is saying, this is the right answer. If you can do these things, if, if you can live your life in this kind of way, then you're going to be okay. Because what Jesus knows and what this guy is going to learn is that to do those things requires a deep transformation in your life. To do those kinds of things, to live in that kind of way, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. To, to, to live in that kind of way, to have your heart so oriented towards God that that's the, the, first, and the, the first thing that matters. To, to love your Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then to love those around you as you should love yourself, right? Jesus says, if you can do that, man, then God has gotten a hold of you in a way that you don't even realize yet. That God, that's the fruit of God working in your life. It's the right answer, but it's so hard to live out. Jesus knows, and this guy is going to learn that, that this is not a way of living that you can just will yourself to live. This is a way of living that requires deep transformation, but there's the rest of the story. The story continues. It doesn't stop with just that one answer. In some ways, the, the, the expert in the law isn't satisfied to just have gotten the, the answer correctly, the, the correct answer. He says, so, so wanting to justify himself, verse 29, he asked Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? All right, let's, let's kind of put a framework around this. Let's, let's begin to understand what this looks like. In some ways, I think maybe this expert in the law, I, can't, I don't know his mind, I don't know his heart, but to, to imagine that he's now realizes that he's maybe stuck, he's maybe painting himself in a corner saying, that is the right answer, and that's going to be hard. And so maybe in some ways, trying to maybe simplify the process or pare the, the, the process down, he's got two choices really, to, to either lean into some sort of process that gets him there, or somehow cut the expectations down to something more manageable for him to pull off to somehow limit the scope of what it means to be a neighbor, to, to begin to think that maybe that's a good start to, towards this make-it-easier strategy, to be able to check it off the list. And so he says, so who is my neighbor? And what we're seeing is really the start of this kind of extended moment with Jesus where you've got the lean-in and the lean-out kind of reality. Right? In some ways, he's leaning in as he's asking the questions. He's leaning in as he's answering correctly. He's leaning in, and all of a sudden, he starts to realize that this is going to require something of him, that this is going to take him in a new kind of direction. And so you can almost feel the, the air starting to leave the room as, as he's starting to just back out and say, no, wait a minute. What have I gotten myself into? This is the start of his lean-in, lean-out moment. And in verse 30, in reply, now Jesus doesn't let him off the hook, right? He doesn't just answer, well, let me give you the, the, the checklist kind of question for who your neighbor is. In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down to Jerusalem to, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And then what would have been the most surprising moment, actually the whole, this whole passage is kind of structured on this one big surprise as, as Jesus is talking, as Jesus is talking to the expert in the law. He says, but a Samaritan, 
right? The first word in that little sentence there, that this, this moment that kind of is, is this surprising moment because the Samaritan would have had no, no obligation to, to help this man at all. And there would have been no expectation that he would have been willing to. But it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that, I, that you may have. Jesus answers with a story. Right? Answers with a story that I think this man, this expert in the law, this, this man who's, who's maybe gone from this checklist, this bulleted list, this very linear way of thinking about things, now being sucked into this narrative. Right? Now being given a story that he's going to have to wrestle with, that he's going to have to think about. In some ways, he didn't even, Jesus didn't even answer yet the question about the neighbor. But then in verse 36, Jesus turns to the man and asks his big question. He says, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? This is Jesus in such a frustrating kind of way. If you're the one trying to, to kind of make sure you've got your checklist all figured out to, to get the story in return and then be, be given a, a question in response to your question. Jesus isn't going to just simply give him the answer that he wants. He's, he's certainly not going to give him an easy answer. And for this man who's come to Jesus, this man who's, who's now standing before him and having this conversation with him, this is, this is the lean-in moment, right? This is the moment where the man's question has been turned upside down, where all of a sudden the question has gone from who is my neighbor to who is the neighbor, Right? Which one of these men actually functioned as a neighbor for the person who had no obligation to help, had no obligation to, to step into his world? Which one functioned as the neighbor? And the expert in the law, because he probably can't help himself by this point, right? Because he, he's kind of like, he set this thing up, and so he's got to lean in, he's got to continue to have the conversation. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus, as this inward conversation, this conversation about the heart, now it turns out where he says, now go and do likewise. Right? Go and live a life marked by mercy. Jesus finishes, with this converse, finishes the conversation with a call to live it out. Jesus goes back to the man's original question and begins to unpack it and begins to, to kind of like show the, the pieces that, that defined the actual question. And he gives him this God-sized picture of what his life is supposed to look like. And so as we reflect, as we have our lean-in moments, as we look at the, the, the journey that this, this conversation took this man on, we don't know what happened, right? It wouldn't be great to understand what he did if he actually went and did likewise, right? To, to look and see what, what happened is, as this man began to wrestle with this question, as he began to wrestle with the story, we don't know what that has looked like. Right, but we know for our own lives, as we listen to this story, as we, as we have the opportunity in some ways, as kind of like on the, the outer circle, as we're listening into this conversation across generations, this story preserved for us for a purpose. We begin to wrestle with what does this look like for our lives? What does it look like for us to have this same kind of conversation? Because we're having the same kind of conversation, maybe slightly different words, maybe slightly different, like, different context. But we're coming to God saying, what is it that's required of me? What's the minimum expectation to make sure that I'm going to be okay? Right, this inward preserve myself, make sure I'm okay kind of thing. But we are invited to more than just answering questions, right? We're invited to more than just simply knowing more about things. But we're invited to, to actually lean in. And so this morning, to, to kind of begin what, processing what this looks like for us, to say first is, is that leaning in is a move from knowledge to action. 
right? That's the, if you look at the big arc of this passage, if you look at the big arc of, of what's, what, what Jesus is teaching this man is, as he goes through this conversation, he takes him from this, this moment where the man is either trying to, to test Jesus, which is what it says in the text, or he's trying to figure out if he really needs to know the answer, if there's, there's more information that he needs to be aware of. And it starts out with this conversation about knowledge and moves as Jesus so beautifully does and meets him right where he is and goes through this process and begins to teach him that it's, it's maybe not just about knowledge, but it's actually about what you do with what you know that matters, right? That the next step matters, that learning something is important. It's important to, to understand God. It's important to have a theological foundation for what we do. But we can't stay there, right? We can't stay there and have the, just have those kinds of conversations, but at some point it has to begin to work outward. At some point we have to go and do it's important to learn, it's important to wrestle, but at some point, we have to move from knowledge to action, and that's where the leaning in happens. That's where it's saying, look, I understand, Jesus, I understand that you're calling me to something. It would be way easier to just back off and say, I don't, I don't want to go there, to lean out, but we lean in. This is a move from knowing the answer to leaning in and living out the answer. In this story, it's all about understanding the neighbor in a different kind of way, understanding the neighbor, not just as, as who is my neighbor, but am I functioning as a neighbor, right? The way that we're called to live. We should beware anytime we think we've got the answer, that if it's a relatively easy answer and requires nothing of us, spiritually speaking, we should be aware of those kinds of answers, right? Jesus doesn't give him that kind of answer. Jesus takes him into an answer that, that actually requires something of him, to lean in, to move from knowledge to action, to, to function as a neighbor in the world around him. And so Jesus gives him this new definition that, that being a neighbor shifts the burden, right, to actually function as the neighbor, to take that question for what he's really asking, saying, well, who am I actually required to help? Right? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, could I at least have some sort of list to understand exactly who I'm supposed to love? And Jesus takes that question and turns it upside down and, and shifts the burden from other people proving their worth of being a neighbor by, by proximity or, or by relationship or by, by any kind of other kind of measure and begins to define the neighbor by looking in the mirror, saying, are you the neighbor? Right? Are you functioning in this kind of way that we can't let ourselves off the hook by putting the burden of being the neighbor on other people? Right? By saying, like, who is worthy? Who is close enough to me, right? Who am I in relationship with? Who is like me? All these kinds of questions that we could use to define who a neighbor actually is. If we're trying to say minimum expectations, how do I minimally meet the things that are required of me? It's leaning in to the definition of a neighbor and then letting God do an inner work in us. Leaning in, or it means being a neighbor, and being a neighbor shifts the burden from others to self. Being a neighbor shifts us in another kind of way. It shifts our focus from self to others, right? This is a really great tension because it's, it's this, the reality that, that we're, we're looking and saying, look, the burden goes on us, right, to be neighbors. The burden goes on us to, to, to define being a neighbor by, by the way that we are functioning within the world around us, recognizing that being a neighbor is our responsibility, not other people's responsibility to us. And so it, it requires us to, to at this, kind of like a double motion, it's a great tension because we, we move from shifting the burden to ourselves and at the same time shifting our focus to others, right? This is that thing where we say the inward world, the inward stuff that we're working on starts to work itself outward, where it starts to make a difference in the world around us because being a neighbor shifts our focus from self to others. 
The tension is that there's work that's required that, that's in us. And so the burden is on us, that God is working in us, but our focus isn't on ourselves, it's on others. You could say it this way, that the inward work is both all about us and not about us all at the same time. Right, to say God is doing something in us, and it's for us, and it's about us. And God's saying, look, if you're going to live in the way that you're called to live, we've got to do some stuff that's, that's just really about you. But the reality is that the goal and the objective is not just about you. It's, it's, it's about so much more than just you. And this shift in focus, this shift in burden, begins to, to give us a more full picture of the heart of God. It begins to give us a more full picture of the life that we're called to, that, that lets us see a bigger picture where we can start asking ourselves questions like, well, where did my story really start? Or where, where did this question come from? Why am I, why am I wrestling with this thing? Where is it that, that, that I'm actually at in my journey? And I wrote in my notes just that I said, I believe that, that Jesus gave the expert in the law a story instead of an answer, right? In part because stories tend to echo, right? Stories tend to, to, to be these kinds of things where it's like, I need to think about that. Right? The expert in the law, he's, he's used to the bullet points. Right? He's used to, to having this very linear way of thinking about things. And to be given this story, he's got to do something with it. Right? He's got to wrestle his way through this thing. And it's going to be the kind of thing that he leaves the conversation with Jesus and it continues to echo in his life. He in his life, he continues to think about it. And so Jesus then says at the end, So go and do likewise. Jesus takes hold of this showed mercy answer and he invites, invites the man to lean in. He invites us to lean in in this moment. He says, go and do likewise. He says, go, and you can put it in this kind of framework, to say, go and live a life marked by mercy. Right, to begin to, to, to make that kind of shift. Can you imagine what our lives would look like in that kind of way? Mercy is a different kind of thing than just doing stuff. Right? Mercy is this condition of the heart that, that starts probably, or at least for, for me and I think for a lot of us, mercy starts with, with this recognition that we've been there, right? that our lives have not always made sense, that we have found ourselves in, in tough circumstances. Maybe we have felt like we are bloodied and bruised on the side of the road. So what do you do with that when you know what that feels like? This is why stepping back and saying, where does my, my story actually start? To, to actually begin to get a wide-angle view of, of the story, something bigger than just the moment of saying, well, who was the neighbor? Saying, well, where did the story actually start for any of those guys on the road? Right? For this expert in the law, where did his story start? Did it start in the moment where he's wrestling with the question of a neighbor and, and all those kinds of things? Or was his story a little bigger than that? He's just forgotten pieces of it. Or maybe he missed a big part of his story somewhere along the way. Mercy requires remembering our own stories. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and live a life marked by mercy. Go and live a life where you begin to see the big picture, where you begin to see that the story isn't just this moment, but the story has gone on for much longer than maybe you realize. Because in this story, in this story, you've got not just these three men on the road, right? I think for some of us, because Jesus asked such a pointed question about which one of them was the neighbor, that it'd be easy for us to forget that there is a character in this story that in some ways we was contained in about one sentence of the story. It's this guy crumpled and bleeding and abandoned on the side of the road. And I think for some of us, and I think the tension that maybe that, that Jesus, I, I don't know, I wasn't there. But as I look at this story, this story that Jesus invested in this man, to say, what does it look like? to remember. 
What does it look like that for all of us, spiritually speaking, and for some of us, physically speaking, we have been crumpled and bloodied and bruised on the side of the road watching people pass us by, right? That we know what that feels like. That, that if, we're, if we're, we're on the side of the road, there's this tendency, I think, for us to, to turn inward and say, I've seen so many people pass me by. I am worthless and I am hopeless. And Jesus says, remember, guy who's the expert in the law, remember those who have gathered at Birch Ridge that, that your story didn't start with making a decision about whether or not you're going to be a neighbor, right? Whether or not, or who of the story was functioning as the neighbor. That, that all of us, all of us started out at some point or had some part of our story that looks like the guy on the side of the road. And so we either turn inward or we lean in and we live a life marked by mercy that the story that Jesus tells, this is such a beautiful part about the way this story plays out, the story that Jesus tells of of this man crumpled on the side of the road, bloodied, bruised, no hope of taking care of himself. You have this unexpected traveler showing up in his life taking on his issues and taking on his things and paying the price for him and pouring out literally himself for this person. As Jesus' story unfolds, we see that Jesus did exactly what the story tells, right? That we we found ourselves on the side of the road, we found ourselves hopeless and broken and, and no way to take care of ourselves. And then this unexpected traveler showed up, came alongside us, took on our burden for himself, Right, that our story starts there. And I think when you start talking about questions of mercy, you start talking about whether or not I'm supposed to be a neighbor, I think it's those kinds of questions emerge when we forget where our story started. Say, so I remember. I remember hopelessness. I remember brokenness. I remember what it felt like to be on the side of the road. Maybe for some of us, that's where we're at this morning. We start to hear this story. Maybe for some, we've kind of like, well, the whole neighbor thing, I get it. Like, we're, we'll wrestle with that, but then we start thinking about what it feels like to have been left for dead, feeling like we've been hopeless. There is such good news in this story because Jesus says, look, there is hope. I am here. I have done for, for you what, what the, the Samaritan in the story did for the man in the story. The story that Jesus told is exactly what he did for all of us. And so we have this moment, we say, what does it look like to live in that moment on the side of the road, to live a life marked by mercy, to actually take hold of the hope that's been offered to us, to recognize that that God is doing for us what we could never have done for ourselves. And then the traveling the road, these three travelers that are going down, this this expert in the law that in some ways probably identified more with the travelers than with the one on the side of the road. There's this tendency to turn inward and you start asking questions like, what must I do to make sure that I'm okay? Right? You start asking questions about how, does it, how do I make sure that I'm the one that's, that's in good shape? That that's a turning inward and staying turned inward kind of moment. But, but to lean in, to, to take on this wide-angle perspective, to say, I want to learn from what, what God is teaching me. I want to learn from this story that goes on way before I'm just making a decision about what to do in this moment. But to go through life with, with, with mercy marked by understanding our story understanding where it started, to lean in, having this wide-angle perspective, this life that's marked by mercy that says, I will live, I will live as a neighbor, not just because I'm supposed to, right? Not just because I read scripture and it sounds like that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to lean in, I'm going to show mercy because I know what it feels like to be on the side of the road. And maybe for some of us, our memory needs to go back a little further. Maybe there's parts of the story that we've just ignored or forgotten, and to live our lives, not just asking what's the minimal requirement, but to say, I will lean in. I will let God use my story to teach me how I'm supposed to relate to other people. To live as a neighbor. 
And so as we, as we close this conversation, I'll leave you with this thought that the same God, the same God who meets us on the side of the road is the one that's calling us to action. The same God who meets us on the side of the road is, is, is the one who's calling us to action, to lean in and to live out what's been done for us, to live lives marked by mercy. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for perspective. God, I thank you for the way that you have bound up our wounds. God, for the way that you are binding our wounds. God, for the way that you entered our story. God, when we were hopeless, when we were bloodied and battered and bruised. God, I pray that we wouldn't forget. I'm not praying that we would be reminded by having to walk through those kinds of experiences. But God, I pray that we would remember. God, that you would give us eyes to see our stories in a new kind of way, that, that we begin to realize where our stories actually start and what pieces actually really, really matter. God, that we wouldn't find ourselves in this moment just asking the question, what's minimally required of me? But God, that we would be having, living lives marked by gratitude for the mercy that was poured out for us. God, that we would remember God, that we would allow you to do the inward work in us so that we could go and live this thing out. God, we thank you for mercy. God, we thank you for your grace for those moments where we've been tempted to just be experts in the law. And God, we're going to lean in. Even when hard things are required of us. Even in moments where it would be easier to lean out. God, give us courage. Give us strength. And God, give us good memories of what you have done. And God, for those of us this morning who find ourselves in situations and circumstances that feel like we're on the side of the road. Oh God. God, I pray for perspective. God, I pray for your presence to be especially near, that we be able to sense that you are with us. And then, God, I pray that you would send travelers. God, that you would send people to come alongside us, to, to bind up our wounds, to, to walk with us, to, with us to, to reveal the heart of God to us in this moment. God, that we would realize that we're not in this thing alone. God, if we're tempted to turn inward, we're tempted to be discouraged, God, I pray that you'd lift our heads. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ the one who stepped into our story, the one who took our burdens on himself, one who loves us so much that he didn't just leave us on the side of the road. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.